Hi folks, Timothy Harvey here for Family Movie Nightmare. First of all, we'd like to apologize for the gap in our programming schedule. We had not planned to take a little break there, but life, as it so often does, got in the way. Second, this is the first of two episodes that covers the third season of Channel Zero. When we covered the second season, we found ourselves in the position of having far more content than a single episode would really fit. So we broke it into two episodes. We've done that again here. So the episode might end a little bit abruptly, but we'll post the second half of our discussion later this week. As always, we thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Family Movie Nightmare. Welcome to Family Movie Nightmare. Hello again, this is Family Movie Nightmare, the podcast where a father and his spawn discuss all forms of horror media. I'm Nikki Kay, the spawn in this equation. And I'm Timothy Harvey, the father in (laughs) such equation, yes. (laughs) And we are back after being forced to face the scariest thing of all, real life drama. The problem with real life is that it often gets in the way of real life. <laughs> All the time. Just stepping on its frickin' toes. And you might be able to hear that I'm also just a little bit sick. Today we're going to be continuing our journey through the Channel Zero, not discography, uh, catalog? <laughs> <laughs> catalog worked. Season 3 of Channel Zero. Season 3, Butcher's Block. Well, first of all, it's very notable for having very, very little to do with the actual source material that it takes its... I'm not even going to say premise from. It takes a a phenomenon from. Yes, it takes a piece of uh, imagery, which is the staircases in the middle of the woods. Um, in this instance, it is a staircase appearing in a local park, but the park has become so overgrown and... Um, What's the word for when something is no longer tended to, when it's uh, left? Abandoned? Abandoned. Um, um... So one of the things they reference is something called the sacrifice zone. It is a real thing in in cities where basically it's a portion of a city that has basically been completely abandoned. And Mm. so much so that it has basically been abandoned by the infrastructure. So right. no, you know, almost no police, almost no fire department. Um, it's it's viewed as such a. It's it's essentially written off uh, in. You, well, you know, you, you you see some of this in parts of Detroit. Yeah, it's the city's money is no longer going to this place. Right, and there's some very good economic reasons for that, and there's some very bad, some very negative consequences to that. Right. Uh, which this show touches on to a certain degree. It doesn't want to get dive too much into the urban planning side of things. No, it's very careful to show all of the people that are poor to be white. <laughs> the ability to have this kind of environment actually be a real thing um, is kind of interesting because, you know, it's abandoned places are kind of a staple of the horror genre, the abandoned house, the abandoned hospital, the abandoned whatever. Uh, But this whole kind of area, which is basically abandoned, and therefore this sort of thing can 
can happen here and there be very, very little consequence. Yes. You know, people can disappear and nothing's done about it. Uh, it's not necessarily an exaggeration. I mean, it is. I mean, it gets, you know, in the context of the horror story, it's an exaggeration, but it's a thing that happens. So. Right. It's a very interesting, um, it's a very interesting premise. There's a lot of core parts of this se- season that I really like. Now, the, the creepypasta that this is taking its light touches from is the Search and Rescue uh, series. Um, I don't have the, the author's name in front of me. The author is Carrie Hammond. And this is a series that basically is, its horror is often very, very subtle. Yes, it's based on the 411 phenomenon of people going missing in national parks. It is from the point of view of a search and rescue ranger, which I can never take the job title of search and rescue ranger um, seriously because I grew up with Chip and Dale. <laughs> See, that's what I want to see. Chip and Dale in a creepypasta, because oh, that would just be, <laughs> that'd be insane. Uh, oh, now I'm going to, next time I reread that, I'm just going to imagine that the that it's Dale <laughs> writing <laughs> these Reddit posts. Uh, because be crazy. it's set up as a testimonial from a uh, park ranger who specializes in search and rescue. Um, speaking to Redditors saying, hey, this is a thing that happens. And it is handled with such a deft touch that, um, and there's so many instances of very plausible, very tragic real-life horror of, of people slipping off of, off of uh, sharp cliffs and, and falling, and children especially. Moments of, what's the snow phenomenon? <laughs> Like snow blindness, that sort of thing? Snow blindness, the one that happens where the the trees keep the snow from falling immediately under the tree and then it oh. creates a pocket that people get stuffed in there. That was the specific example that I remember. It's just things that really happen to people in national parks. And then there's things like people made out of meat and... The blurry man who kidnaps children and the thing that can mimic sounds perfectly. Um, and the guy whose neck uh, snaps to the side and then he does a backflip off a cliff. It's just it's ridiculous it's stuff that doesn't really happen. It was very cool. It's got a yeah, it's got a different voice from a lot of creepy pastas, I think, and I think it's one of the reasons it's just, it's been as successful and as interesting as it is because it doesn't it doesn't necessarily it starts off from such a place and stays a lot of times in a place of real plausibility as opposed to this thing that comes at you with you know knives for hands or or whatever you know the, the some of the more extreme more more fantastic creatures from a lot of creepypasta. Yeah. But it certainly has has real moments of of under the skin scary I think uh, uh, intensity that yes. um I'd be very interested to see someone do a really good adaptation of one of those. I That's think... not what this is. No, this is not even close. <laughs> this is um it kind of there's the mimic character 
in search and rescue, if I remember correctly, is often described as either not having skin or looking as if they are a amalgamation of different parts of meat. Mimic is probably my favorite character within the um, search and rescue mythos because they just, they seem the most playful. Like, they hear a sound. They make that sound over and over and over again. They are very curious around other people, but also, you know, know when to fuck off when someone, like, pulls off a, pulls out a camera. And there is a meat monster in Butcher's Block, but it's t- entirely useless, and it doesn't talk. And I'm just going to come out and say it. I was very disappointed with this season. Um, I didn't feel like it was as tight as the other ones. It and I felt like it was relying on a lot of uh, cliches. Yeah, there's something about this season that doesn't have the punch of the previous two. Now, I'm going to say that there are parts of this season I really did like. Yes. Anytime you cast Rutger Hauer as the bad guy, you're yes. in a pretty good place. Because he does quiet creepy really well and a lot of his very quiet interactions with people especially early on mm-hmm. his interactions with with zoe um yes. his interactions with alice this sort of hi i'm this very pleasant person nice to meet you are genuinely very creepy um yes and that's even before you get into some of the 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 metaphysical, you know, the horror aspects, you're basically in just this very pleasant person who you, you honestly, nothing he's saying is particularly scary, except that it's very, it's very unnerving. That was really effective. But it also, see, I don't find, I don't find cannibal stories particularly scary. And this whole season is basically about, the eating of the people and and how many times we can show that they're eating people like the amount of people limbs being pulled out of the ground or being put on plates or covered in bugs and it's just like we get it they're eating people it's the shock value has worn off if you are if you are disturbed by images of cannibalism, this could be a very very disturbing season for you, and mm-hmm. that's but that's an, that's a that's kind of a sense of appeal, which is an odd thing to say, but it's true. Yes, um, you know if you are if that is a thing that scares you or disturbs you, whereas I, having worked on films where we've had fake limbs and disemboweled mm-hmm. people and all these things, I was kind of like, oh, that's a cool effect. That's a cool effect, which completely negates any kind of scary. Yeah. I <laughs> used to be really affected by gore, but it's, I found the, the more I've, I found the more horror I watch, what really actually gets to me is the tension before the, the maiming or anything like that. Like, that's why I've, I still haven't watched the Saw series because the idea of someone wearing a mechanism that will split their face open genuinely upsets me. Um, Mm. And that's why the most effective parts of this season were when that tension was explored. Um, Before I get into that, I just want to mention that we're still trying to find how we want to structure this show. And so my suggestion to Tim for this episode was to focus on 
what we found scary and what we did not find scary, but we we think we were supposed to find scary. <laughs> Which we, I think we kind of covered right off the bat is one thing, is that if you're not scared... If you're not scared about meat just lying around, because that's the majority of the shots. And yeah, it's not yeah. even... Like, there's a little bit of body horror, but... And I enjoyed it in the sense that conceptually, visually, the the props that they used were very interesting. Seeing, you know, these amalgamation of hands that kind of have been turned into root vegetables. um, That was really cool, but it was... It didn't... They kept just going back to it like it was supposed to be scary in and of itself, and it wasn't. I feel like the people in charge of this season did not know how to actually frame scary things. And my, my biggest example of this is how they frame the god of this cult. Am I getting ahead of myself? Should we do it? We, should we be nice first and then get to the things that we don't like? Well, <laughs> well I, okay, so I, you, I, I, can, I can do both, actually. Uh, I can okay. start off with one. So, so the basic premise of the show, without getting into into a huge recap here, um, is basically that these two sisters move to this town, uh, Alice and Zoe, and Zoe has mental issues. She seems to be suffering from schizophrenia, um, and their mother, the mother of these two sisters, has been committed. Um, because her schizophrenia is full blown and basically they basically got her treated to the point where she's, she's functional, but she can't be allowed to be out on her own. There was a inciting incident. Um, and this will come up later because I have opinions during a, during an episode of, uh, mania, their mother ended up attacking and stabbing Zoe. And because of that, the sister's. Um, primarily Alice, who is in charge of her sister, have moved far away because this is extremely traumatic for both of them, and they're trying to get a fresh start uh, in this sacrifice zone called Butcher's Block. Zoe wants to be a social worker. Between her job and her new uh, residence, uh, she finds out about the missing people within Butcher's Block. Her landlady, uh, Louise, who is my favorite person in this entire series, <laughs> she is the best. She is the shining pinnacle of the only reason to watch this season in my in my imagination because you just don't usually see a older, heavier set woman carrying so much character weight. She's she's like the cop who retired. And is just so grisly, and she doesn't want children because she hates kids. And then she does taxidermy, and I'm sorry, I'm getting off on a tangent. I love Louise. You, you, she's the kind of character you keep waiting for her to say, "I'm too old for this shit." Yes. And and yet she still keeps going. Um, yes. She's a very interesting character, and she's very off-putting initially, which is sort of an intentional move by the, by the people making the show to make her just seem very standoffish. Mm-hmm. She but, has a presence. Well, one of the one of the one of the things about this show. So there's let me the, the one of the things I really liked and really disliked. God, this so much of this stuff ties together right here in a neat little bow. Mm. So, so the, the, the show kind of deceives you initially because it sets you up basically to think that 
the your POV character is Alice. Mm-hmm. Because she's the stable sister. She's the one who's taking care of her sister who is who is still struggling from her her mental issues and And she is self-medicating with coke. Yeah. Which is always good. Um <laughs> But you're so just basically they spend a lot of time with Alice initially, and she's kind of the decoy protagonist, mm-hmm. which is an actual thing. If you're if you're, you know, TV tropes is a beautiful thing. But um, the sh- as the show goes on, it becomes very very clear that Alice is not necessarily the one you're supposed to be rooting for, which on one hand is pretty cool, mm-hmm. and yet we spend so much time with her that. I think there's a bit of an imbalance there, so that when we're supposed to look at the certain other characters, in this particular case, her sister, mm-hmm. there's not a, there's the emphasis. I think is a little imbalanced, which I found awkward. I also found that they didn't give her because there's the other thing is that there is a um, shift in morals that uh, happens midway through the series. Alice is given a choice, and she makes what is arguably the more selfish. Oh, not arguably, definitely. <laughs> the, yeah, the most selfish choice you could possibly make, which is, I'm going to sacrifice children now, okay, bye. And um, they don't really do a very good job of giving us a reason to think she she's doing it out of any other reason than just... Well, she doesn't really have a reason. Like, she's afraid. Well, they they try and give you... I, I think I think this is another question of emphasis. Mm-hmm. Because I read it as her own fears of being crazy. Oh, yes. Oh, uh, definitely. Were so strong that when, when pushed to the point where that was really... When she, when she was given an out, when she was given an out by Joseph, mm-hmm. um, is that she takes it without thinking about the consequences, and by then it becomes too late because right. she's already she is going mad at that point. Her her own sanity, and I don't think I think what where you have characters who are dealing with a real recognized mental illness she actually goes crazy she's that's that's not schizophrenia on display in the character of alice she's snapped she's 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 gone right over the edge to full-blown um madness because so much of what she does and i think what the intent was so much that she's she's so afraid that it becomes this madness but at the same time, you don't have enough, you don't have enough disintegration. Yes. And we are given so much time with her at the beginning of the series, showing how compassionate she is, how she genuinely cares about people, uh, or we assume that she does. It might be that the character is putting on a front. It might be that she believes that she has no other purpose but to be a caregiver since she, you know, feels responsible for her sister. But she is such a good girl. 
at the beginning and at season in not season in episode one in episode two her especially with izzy to the point where she goes to look after this girl tries to find this girl in the middle of the goddamn night in a place that she has been told by several people is not safe during the night um primarily into a haunted ass piece of woods like i I know she's 26 and she's kind of dumb because every 26-year-old is dumb. I, I'm 28. I'm two years away from that dumb. I know what it's like. But it, it we are, we, she is established as a compassionate person that when she does a complete 180, it, it doesn't feel, it, it makes me feel more like she was a liar and th- these convictions weren't her own than it does that she has a reason to to go that far like yeah i I can i could very easily see that i got i got more of the sense that they really do want you to think that that's who she is and that and that she snaps and my problem with the character that just snaps is that it works great in like lovecraft when you're exposed to the to the thing that you know your mind cannot comprehend and you go mad from the revelation mad going mad from the revelation it's another standard trope mm-hmm. we actually get that with her later when she's exposed to the pestilent god yes um and then she goes mad well okay that's where you go mad that's where the point where your mind breaks here yes. I think I think that if and then and I don't I wouldn't have wanted this because the season the pace of the season was a little slow for me. Oh God, they didn't. They wasted so much time on on absolutely useless bullshit and slow mo shots and just lingering. <sighs> I would have much rather had like a, like an over the course of several episodes watching her start to fracture. Yes. and then I would have then I would have been more on board because we get. We get Zoe at the beginning, who is who is clearly damaged, mm-hmm. and as the season progresses, she's grappling with it and saying, and she's struggling, and she's not always succeeding. But by the end of the season, her arc, you can buy her arc a lot better than you can buy Alice's. Yes, not to knock the performances of of the actresses involved. Um, I thought both of them were. I, I thought the acting. Oh yes, the acting this season. Is is in the same level as the previous seasons. Zoe, especially Zoe, Louise, and Jonathan, uh, Joseph, sorry, were the standout performances for me. Uh, Alice did a very good job, but because of, by the end of the series, I hated her guts. Uh, I didn't really care who. <laughs> yeah, uh, the guy who played um, uh, Robert Peach, who is the one of Joseph's sons, he is like openly embrace the idea of the cannibal life. He is just eating the scenery in every scene he does, just flouncing around. Oh, nom, it's nom, it's nom, it's so entertaining. I mean, I, I, part of me really wishes that that was the entire cannibal clan right there, is that yes. every, all of them were so enthusiastically crazy. Yes. That was actually genuinely creepy, just how pleasantly enthusiastic he was i mean because he was always relatively polite he was relatively polite while still 
like being absolutely you it was very clear that she that it was very clear that he considered every character outside of his own family below him and oh yeah and lunch was, oh yes and lunch but not a very good lunch his re- his interactions with Luke the officer with the pretty eyes he huh. <laughs> well there's just so many close-ups of him just staring into the camera just absolutely distressed he also did a fantastic performance um Oh my god, I'm completely off topic. I don't know what we were talking about anymore. We were talking about Alice. <laughs> we were talking about how she has the moral the moral backbone of a chocolate eclair. Uh, when it came... I really wish that... And I know that Zoe really wasn't present enough to give this argument. I really wish that Alice had had another instance where she talked to Louise after falling under Joseph's uh, Mm. thrall because Louise would be able to say, Hey, he's fucking playing you. He's lying to you and you are letting him. Zoe tries, but because Zoe is not the most, the way that they structure Zoe's arguments I found was really great writing. I believed Zoe's character was actually having you know, some issues. I deal with mental illness and sometimes that uh, shows up in my ability, my inability to phrase things correctly um, or how I really mean them in my head. There's just this filter where my thoughts go through and what comes out of my mouth is something completely different. And I got that, I got that impression with Zoe in certain instances, including her argument with Alice. Zoe also has this snark to her that I really, really enjoy. Um, But Louise, I think, would be able to cut right through the bullshit and be like, he's playing you. And I did believe that, and and this is partly to do with how sharply Alice shifts after she is alone with Joseph. Uh, There's a scene which is probably the scariest scene in the entire season because the tension is wonderful in this scene where he paralyzes her with magic and teleports her away to where she is all alone and then performs a lobotomy on her or the closest thing to a uh, what I would describe as lobotomy because I don't know what the actual fucking thing is called. It is wonderfully even down to the set dressing is wonderfully laid out. He isolates her and he sets in front of her this antique tray. And on the tray are these old fashioned mirrors with um, floral inlay on the back of them. They're very pretty. And then next to the mirrors is this absolutely terrifying piece of iron that this iron um, mechanism that he then uses to drill a hole into her skull. We do not see the the camera smartly does not show the insertion of this device. Instead, it stays locked on a, on an extreme close up of Alice's eyes as she is unable to speak and can only stare dead ahead 
and and tremble as blood the the deep deep almost black blood of a head wound starts dripping down the center of her forehead down over her trembling lips it is a beautiful scene i loved it until they had the eraser head death character pop out of her brain folds yeah the the schizophrenia monster which is what i've seen it referred to as was a <sighs> little Mr. too schizophrenia uh, it just it just didn't it didn't it was cartoony look oh it was way too cartoony it it so so the 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 curious thing about the monsters the physical non-human monsters of this season your schizophrenia monster your meat monster your little dwarf creatures um <laughs> I have and, opinions and the, about all of them <laughs> Well, I do too, and and mostly because I wasn't scared by any of them. No, it was... um, and I didn't find I didn't find them particularly creepy. No, um, I found them a little too cartoonish. Now, I did kind of like the, the okay. There were a couple little moments with the meat monster, like sitting there where it's playing chess. Yes, that was. Um, I thought that I kind of liked that scene, but it's it, you're not meant to be it's meant to be a a freaky looking thing but it's not a scary thing which i'm okay with it has this weird so it's a monster it it just looks like a person who's lost all of their skin and then um parts of their flesh has also been scraped away so that all of their defining features are gone mm-hmm. um the closer you look at it the more obvious it becomes that this is it is a monster made of meat, but from a distance, it just looks like a person without skin. Um, except it has these little meat nodules popping out of the top of its head. It looks like a top knot a millennial wears to go to the gym. The silhouette of this <laughs> monster is not scary. And it doesn't do anything. Every single yeah. scene it's in, it is doing something that any other character within the Peaches family could do. So this monster yeah. serves no purpose besides for the audience to go, ooh, that's weird. I hate when when people do horror things that I'm supposed to take seriously, but it is just there to kind of go, ooh, isn't that spoopy? It's like the effect of really obvious 3D editing where the, the uh-huh. thing comes shoving towards the screen and then, you know, drops back, like... Right. It's cheap. It's cheap. There's visual cues that this show... And it was acknowledged by the creators that they were inspired by and sort of incorporated some of the Dario Argento, the Italian horror director. A lot of the color scheme came out of Dario Argento's films. And a lot of David Lynch's Twin Peaks got worked into this, too. Oh, yeah, I can see that. So, but the problem is, is that it sort of contributed to a feeling that while this, while the pacing of this season was to me slow, it's also a show that's overstuffed with ideas. It really is. And, be, and those ideas don't ever go to a, um, a satisfying conclusion. There's a story in here about manipulation and mental illness and the fear of oneself and um 
making people into monsters and then caring for those monsters um, or finding those monsters as considering those monsters family, loving those monsters. And it is just bogged down by absolutely useless scenes where like the fifties commercial that happens at the beginning of episode two that does nothing to the point (laughs) that a character mentions it as a joke to shit on another character. You can't have it both ways show if something, something is either funny or it's scary. Like if you, okay. Well, this show also had a trouble with humor in general. um, Yeah. Because there's a recurring theme with um, Alice's loan officer. Mm, oh yeah that's another thing (laughs) who finally who who is who is by the way um if your loan officer ever calls you and talks to you the way that this guy does yeah the solution is to call the company that employs him and talk to his boss because there are actually guidelines and rules that that loan officers can't actually talk to you that way yeah they're not allowed i know this is supposed to be Oh, she's a millennial. We have to talk about the student debt. Hi, I'm also a millennial. I went to an art college. I had student debt, and I'm thankfully out from under it. However, I had those calls, and guess what? Every single fucking person who called me was my age, and they were just trying to do a job, which I can appreciate because I also need to do a job, you know, to pay for shit. and but this guy was straight up, straight up asshole. They weren't malicious. They don't care that much. They genuinely aren't that concerned because they also have student debt. <laughs> right. And and then, of course, the whole it's basically all leading up to a sight gag. And it's literally this is a comedy bit where the guy shows up. By the way, they can't do that. The same no. guy who's calling for they're they're calling you from a call center, okay? They're not they're even calling in the you same from a call state. center. They are an absolute cog in the machine. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of them employed by these large corporations because they have to be to give out that much money. The people that they are sending in person, there's no way they're the same person. Like the no, they're not. People giving the the people who are giving student loans are not loan sharks. This is just stupid writing. It makes me believe that you don't know how the real world works or you think your stupid shit is so funny that it just has to be there, but it's not. (laughs) I don't feel vindicated when the person who is just slightly older than me gets his throat torn out for doing his job. Yeah, and it's all it's all it's all for the point of a sight gag, which is asshole loan officer shows up, asshole loan officer gets killed, haha. If the tone of the whole show had been this kind of dark comedy, because because strictly speaking, that's a dark comedy bit, and yes. if the whole show was played for dark comedy, which you know, so if the whole show had been played from say Robert, if Robert Peach, the cra- the the one who's basically chewing all the scenery as well as everybody else, if if the entire show had been played in that tone, then maybe, maybe I'm probably I don't I don't I still don't think it would, but maybe yeah. the whole eat the loan officer um, would be funny 
except that it's so out of place at that point because it immediately is preceded by a very tense scene, which I actually one of the scenes I really enjoyed, where yeah. Alice is outside the door going, basically, little pig, little pig, let me in. And, you know, give me the kid uh, so I can go sacrifice it to the god. And Zoe's like, um, no, we'll have no sacrifices today. And <laughs> and it leads to one of the, the cool monster moments in, the, in this season, of which there are very few. So Alice is outside, and everyone, all of the rest of the good characters are trying to get the child to safety through these boarded up tunnels under the bottom of the house in the basement of the house. And Joseph makes his way inside, finds out that all of his, uh, his, his sons have been murdered and their children. I assume the actors with dwarfism have been murdered. And, um, also sidebar people with dwarfism aren't fucking scary. You're just fucking mean. And also their makeup is shitty. And, <laughs> and anyway, so they've been murdered and he goes downstairs and he, he performs this transformation that is very cool where, and it's not explained and I don't quite get the symbolism and I like that, um, where he stuffs a napkin into his mouth, uh, a handkerchief into his mouth and it, and it turns black with blood and his face gets ashen and his eyes go, have deep black around them and it flickers in and out with his mouth where his face would be and it's really cool and it's a little too um technology-ish like it this is a this these characters aesthetics have all been 50s so it's very strange for it to look like a modern tv and to make static noises Mm -hmm. but it's still really cool and for some reason his voice is coming out of his small person Sidekick, who's never fucking explained. The small assistants or companions are kind of children, the kind of the children of what the peaches have become. Yes. They're also kind of disposable cannon fodder. And they are cheap scares. They are cheap scares. There's there's a whole lot going on in this show that isn't explained, and some of it does really work. Um, I like the fact that the pestilent god, pestilence, pestilent, pestilent god, which by the way is is a is a fan name. It's not actually ever called that in the show. That's just yeah, uh, no, people it doesn't have come ever to, really call get that. explained. I don't understand why it would be pestilence when it is a cosmic god. Um, and I could be wrong on this, but I have a vague memory about it was it came out of uh, an alternate name to one of the episodes. Oh, okay. Um, I think I think that's right. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's so you well so, so here's here's the problem that I think the series ultimately the season ultimately suffers from is that you have a cosmic horror story with this 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 god thing. You have this who has created a realm for the peaches to live in, which is this sort of surreal field house in the distance that you can't ever get close to until you can. Um, mm-hmm. This really sort of this alternate dimension thing. You've got these, you've got these, these offspring of what the peaches have become. Cause they're not really human anymore. And, and the, and, and the, the, 
part of so there's there's um, the Phantasm series uh, had a whole bunch of well I think several of them were played by children but there were there were little people actors and, and children actors who played the dwarf assistants of the tall man mm-hmm. and the contrast was there you have this very very tall actor and these very very short actors and mm-hmm. it became it was a it was a visual thing so there's there's sort of this. Um, I, I kind of got the impression, I don't, I don't, I don't know this is official, but I kind of got the impression this is sort of a nod of the head to the Phantasm series with this, with the, you know, they look like children, but they're going to kill you. Um, so you've got that, but you've also got this cannibalism story and you've got Mm -hmm. this mental illness story and you've got a corrupt cop story and you've got a crazy woman whose, whose craziness actually turns out to be reality and there's so much in here that you end up tripping over yourself. Yeah, because cosmic horror stories work really, really well. You, you, you can't explain cosmic horror stories. I mean, the, the idea there is that you know the 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 creature or monster or villain is is so alien to humanity. It's such a big threat. That you can't you can't have a clean cut explanation. It came from this planet. It does this thing, right? You, you don't do that. It's there's there's no explanation given, right? Or, or or no no concrete explanation, and that's one kind of story. And a cannibalism story is a different kind of story. And someone going crazy is a different kind of story. And so you have all of these things, and they don't necessarily all connect in a way that, well, for me, they didn't connect in a way that was terribly satisfying. Yeah. Family Movie Nightmares, produced by Nikki Cave and Timothy Harvey for Just Some Guy Productions. All rights reserved.